0: Thank you, Jesus. And the Lord does have a word for you. He says, Be careful the seed you sow, says the Spirit of God. In this season especially, be careful the seed that you sow, says the Spirit of God. I have ordained that my people would sow spiritual seed, and spiritual seed only, says the Spirit of God. And I instructed you at the beginning of this year that this would be a year where you would pay the price with your spirit. You would pay the price to get yourself out of debt and to get the world out of debt by sowing to the Spirit, says the Lord. And did I not curse mingled seed? I forbade mingled seed upon my nation Israel, says the Lord. I did not allow them to mix the seed that they sowed, said the Lord. I did not allow them to sow to the Spirit and to the flesh, says the Lord. And I do not allow you to sow to the Spirit and to the flesh, says the Lord. So be careful in this season because both atmospheres are ripe for harvest, says the Lord. The kingdom of darkness is ripe for harvest and so is the kingdom of light, says the Spirit of God. And if my people would be diligent to sow seeds to the Spirit, don't mess with Mr. In Between. Amen. Praise the Lord. You may be praise God. Amen. Amen. So last week we were really, really I was talking about how not to let the devil steal your testimony. Uh, even though we had another title to the to the sermon, I uh, wasn't sure what I wanted to to title it, but I guess uh, we should really stick with that. Focus about what you must do not to let the devil steal your testimony. I think we mentioned the fact that your testimony is already written in heaven. Whatever it is that your life in God, your real life, consists of, it is already written in heaven. The nice thing about God is that you can start walking out your testimony at any time. So, if you look at the fact that most of us have spent I don't know how many years wasting living for ourselves, living for the devil, living for the world, living for, you know, some of us martyrs think we've been living for other people all of our lives, you know. <clears throat> well, I've never really lived for myself, I've always lived for other people. You liar. <laughs> Uh, Don't live for other people. People do what they want to do. Hmm? I found that out. You do what you want to do. Sometimes we have restrictions because we have obligations, but people basically do what they want to do with their lives. So if you consider the fact that we've lived not for God most of our lives, many of us, and you come into a knowledge of God, and it's like he just starts you no penalty no nothing he says well come on start with me i've got this for you to do and that for you to do you got a new life now so let me show what so you show you what that's about it's a miracle because god can take us and reshape us and remold us into what he ordained for us to be from the beginning he can take the fragments of any broken life put them back together again through his power and make something wonderful out of your life we've all had that experience we, we experienced some of that in the new birth if we would allow God to totally convert our souls and get us totally sold out to him and focused on him you know we could do a whole lot better in fulfilling that testimony but God has already written your life He's already ordained everything that you're to do for him. And that is what forms your testimony. Last week we talked about Abraham and how he refused to let the devil steal his testimony. Then we look over in Hebrews 11 and we see what God thought about him. What did God write about him? God even said, Abraham, he said, I know him. I know what he's going to do. And so that we want that to be our testimony, that God knows us, and he knows that he can count on us. He knows what we're going to do. We're going to teach our families and teach our, our people around us to follow the ways of the Lord. Huh? You want that to be your testimony. That's what's written about every believer, to be honest with you. Some of us have d- different details in our testimony. But for every believer, God has written that we are faithful to him. That we are just and righteous people. That we will preach the gospel. We'll share Christ with people and lead other people to the Lord. So don't let that be just be something you do on two Saturdays a month with a group. Let that be your testimony every day. That you have, have shared Christ with someone so that they can know the living God. <clears throat> There's a way to share Christ that will draw people to him. You want to be one of those people. You want to be, want that to be your testimony. Is that you were able to draw people to the Lord. So your testimony really um, consists of what God sees in you. And what he says about you. It includes what God has called you to do. And what he has called you. The Bible says he calls us by name. And he also gives us titles. Did you know that? Hmm? It'd be interesting to find out some of these flavor of the month preachers. You know, Apostle, Bishop, Prophet, Doctor, Reverend, (laughs) Uncle, (laughs) Paul. You know it'd be yeah, might as well it got everything else up there It'd be interesting to see what title God put on these people. It might amaze you some of them who never have reverend in front of their name as far as God's concerned, especially the gay ones. I mean that's just a dead giveaway right there. The gay preachers, God don't call them that. Get back to my stuff here. Hmm? See, we need to know what's written about us in God's book, in the Lamb's book of life. How do you find that out? Well, you you know what your testimony is first by reading his word. Everybody's had the experience Of reading a scripture and the words jump up off the page at you. Or they get highlighted. Or they get flashed into your spirit. Or there's a moving. That's called quickening of the word. It is made alive to you. And so many times where you find life in the Bible... That kind of quickening life. Now all scripture is good to read. I mean it blesses you. Gives you peace in your soul. But there are some areas where you might find life. More than other places. That is an indication of where your testimony is in the Bible. Where you find life. So that means that God is speaking that to you now. Because that is written about you already in heaven. Everything, see that's why it has that little familiarity to it. Familiar, familiar. Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) Amen. That's why it
0: seems some familiar to (laughs) you. It's because it's spoken to you. Already is somehow your spirit's heard it once before. That's why a lot of times, you know how people will play kind of play prophecy cheap. Oh, it's just a confirmation. No, it's familiar to you. If it sounds strange, you question whether it's God. Huh? Yeah, he has to speak to you in in a voice of acceptance and familiarity. Who's heard it before is your spirit man. Your carnal man don't know beans about it. So you're trying to convince your carnal man that this is none of his business and it belongs to your spirit only. So your spirit man has heard it before. Hello. It's new to you because your spirit's just been born again in you. And so many times we'll think somebody just repeating something we already know. But really, it's being said to bring it up to our awareness now, so you can become aware of it that God is speaking it to you now because there's something he wants you to to focus in on it about in the now. that's that's what prophecy does. It seems like I've known that all along. Well, your spirit man does. He's lived eternally with God. But he's just coming alive to your consciousness now. Because you've been snorting, sleeping around, slopping around and sinning. You know. (laughs) So it's new to you. (laughs) So you're trying to convince that person in you that slated for death just to continue to die. And you're ready to focus now on what God's speaking to your spirit. So you know it. Know what your testimony is by what you read in the word that's illuminated and quickened to you. Also, you can know it by prophecy. Don't ever pray prophecy cheap. The Bible says, "Despise not prophesying." Why does it say that? Because people do despise it. We got 66 books filled with examples of people who despise prophesying. (laughs) So it's easy to despise it. It's funny thing about prophecy. People want to know about themselves. That's why horoscopes are so popular. Well, you know, I'm a Virgo with uh, Aries rising. I'm a Scorpio, and you know, I'm not compatible with... Whatever. That's why people are so interested in that stuff. They want to know about themselves. Because people are in darkness and don't know beans about themselves. That's why the self-help movement that we've been in for I don't know how long now is so popular with people. Because it's all focused on me. Well, God satisfies that desire to focus on me with prophecy. It's a mirror that you look into where you see your true reflection. Mhm. Write that down. Prophecy provides a mirror that you look into you see a true reflection of who you really are, your spirit man, what you're capable of, what you can do. That's why it's always a shock to your soul. To so your carnal brain goes tilt and bang yong yong You ever had that thing go off in you? your brain just clocks out and then your spirit man steps up and gets instruction mm, through prophecy. Oftentimes, if I give people personal prophecy, I, I pray in tongues and, and this is what I see. I see myself standing at the throne of God and as I pray in tongues... A big hand is turning pages in a book. Just leafing through. So the page stops. Hello? And I pray in tongues a little bit more and the hand goes down and finds that person. And he gives me one word. And that's all I get. And if I speak that one word, he'll give me the rest of it. So I know it's already written about everybody. Because that's what I see. And that's how I know what I'm telling you about. And that's why it's true. Because the Bible says your name, your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. What's in a name? It's who you are, your character, your lifestyle, your abilities, all that's in your name. It's not just something we call you. In every culture, a name means something. It, you know, in the culture that, that we're in now in the West, we've lost meaning of everything. But you ask somebody who's a Muslim what that name means, everybody's, what do they call all of them? Mohammed, yes. <laughs> huh? That means the prophet, the one they name everything based on their understanding of who God is. Mm-hmm. Period. They've got Al in everything, and it's not short. It's not Al like you know, Uncle Al. <laughs> it's short for Allah, which relates that person to God. And so, if we will understand your name includes everything who you are throughout eternity. When your name is called, God sees your gift, your ability, your call. All of that flashes through God's mind when your name is spoken. So, your name is who you are. It is who you are. So two ways we've talked about so far to know your testimony: the Bible, through prophecy. Also, you know it through God's voice to you. For those people who don't like finding out either way, let's see if God tell me. Hmm? <laughs> yeah, God, He He'll speak to me about it. I don't need nobody telling me nothing. Oh, okay, cool. us talking to you was going to be nice (laughs) so what's written about you in the Lamb's Book of Life that's what your testimony is now there is another reflection of who you are and that comes from the kingdom of darkness a carnal world It's what you see versus what God sees. Now what we see ourselves as being or what we consider our testimony or most people don't even consider a testimony. Most people are just living from day to day. You know, let's face it. They you know, or they'll say vague things like, I I, I just want to be famous. Huh? I want to. I want to be a singer, or I want to be this. Or they have the 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 vision that they have is very short-sighted. It doesn't include any kind of works. It doesn't include any kind of details like God has. So the vision that we have for ourselves without God is a dark vision. Dark meaning, it's missing some pieces it's fragmented and it's blurred and it's obscured so we'll get little vague feelings i i want to i want to uh, be somebody one day or i don't or or often our vision is a negative flow of thought i don't want to be poor i don't want to be like my parents i don't want to you understand what I'm saying? There's a lot of negatives in it. If you look at God's vision, there, there are never any negatives in God's vision for you. He never tells you what he doesn't want you to be. He's taken care of that already. If you're born again, the what he doesn't want you to be is already taken care of. So he begins to speak in a a confident, faith-filled, positive way. Have you ever noticed how the Bible is written, especially the New Testament? I, I, I call it the faith affirmative voice of God because it's full of faith and it affirms everything good. There's nothing negative about anybody in the New Testament. There's no curses pronounced in there. There's no, if you don't, then this, it it affirms, it just says that you will do this. Go forth and preach the gospel. Uh, God's words, his, his promises are yes and amen, that kind of thing. Huh? God's word will profit you. By his stripes, you were healed. It puts everything in the, in the active faith mode so that you can grasp it by faith and see that this stuff is happening now and it's going on now in your life if you'll believe it like it's read. So there's no ifs, ands, buts, or maybes in the New Testament. It's written like it's so because God wants you to believe it is so because it is so. And so when you read the word and you see what the word entails, you'll see it's much different from the way you've already thought about yourself. <laughs> Excuse me. Much different from the way you've always thought about yourself. Hmm? You know, when when you begin, if, when you're outside of God, well, I'll do this and this and this and this, and this uh, if I can get this and this and this and this. Or maybe one day. I'll be able to, you know, all of our future is spoken more in a wish mode, you know. And I don't mean wish like wishing in God or hoping in God. I mean just a a fantasy type wish. There's nothing certain there. Because we don't know in darkness, you don't know what it takes to make it happen. And you don't believe you have the goods that it takes to make it happen. That's why when it quits happening right for you, you start crying out to God. That's when you bring him in is when it's not working and you wonder what's going on. Then you think, oh, yeah, maybe I'll ask God <laughs> uh-huh. and see if he can help me. And so, but God's prophecies and his testimony about you are always written in the affirmative. huh? You are this. You are a prophet of God. You are a servant of God. You are righteous. You are the one That people will come to, you are my servant, you're the one they will come to, I've opened a door for you, that people will come through to be blessed, period. He will send people to us, because they'll look for the way of blessing, and he'll know where the blesser is, that's us, the ones who can do these things. So all these things are part of your testimony. What you see in yourself is subject to change. Mostly according to your mood. We have so many mood swings. You know, you're high as a kite one minute and the next day you're all depressed. huh? All the devil has to do is give you one thought that makes you focus on you. and you're in the crapper. Huh? Your day know, is shot. It's blown. Oh, they best oh, that phone better not ring. I just ain't in the mood for none of them telemarketers today. But see, when you had prayed in tongues for about fifteen minutes, that's a couple months ago. Remember that? <laughs> oh, Jesus! Just send anybody to me right now. I'm just gonna witness. <laughs> My phone is your phone. (laughs) Just send them to me, Lord, and I'm going to tell them about Jesus. I don't care who it is. (laughs) Then the mood swing came in. Mm -hmm. You want them to call now so you can cuss them out. Uh, Tell them off. So our vision and our view, our testimony about ourselves, changes (laughs) from minute to minute with our mood. Uh One minute you feel like you can conquer the world in Christ. And next minute you just can't do nothing. I can't do nothing right, God. I just I try so hard. Hmm? You ain't tried half as hard as you're going to try. Huh? You haven't. Most of us, when we get to the end of ourselves, it's the best place to be. Now you can start letting your spirit man take over and really accomplish something in your life. Hmm? biggest problem we have is competition between the flesh and the spirit. Your religious flesh wants to get in there and do stuff. But God only wants your spirit involved in the things. He can only work with your spirit. He knows your flesh is going to faint, cop out, fall apart. So that's why he'll mess around with your flesh. He doesn't want you messing around with it either. So your spirit is what he speaks to when he gives you your testimony, when he gives you instruction for how to carry out your testimony. So messing around in the realm of the flesh can cause you to let the enemy steal your testimony from you. Mm -hmm. You'll walk away from doing what God has ordained for you to do because your flesh is telling you something else about it other than the truth. Mm -hmm. Your flesh is a great dictator of your life because he wants you to continue to to mess your life up by wasting time. Doing things that won't profit you that aren't part of your testimony. So you want to at all times stay with your testimony. What does God say about you? He says he tells you what you are going to do, he doesn't tell you what you're going to accomplish through it, he gives you instruction. And he may give you a glimpse of of something that will happen in your life. But that's only a snapshot. Your life consists of so many other things. And I feel bad for people that, you know, get a, a vision of, of them <clears throat> doing something great for God and that's all they can focus on. And they don't know that you start with small things. And as you show he can trust, he can trust you, then you move up to the great things. But the small things somehow bug them when they have to do them. You know, I, I'm, you know I, I'm being, I've been in church so long, I should be doing more than this. I should be, you know, here. I should be there. And it causes them to move. And so God can't. And then they let the devil steal their testimony. You know, because they should be over here, and they're over here. And so he's stolen their testimony. They're trying to create a testimony over in a place where God has not called them to. Simply because of flesh. Got in a mood or gotten an attitude they couldn't get out of. And it got real to them. Mm-hmm. And that's why they moved. Mm-hmm. So they let the enemy steal their testimony that way. So, <clears throat> But you can make up your own testimony too. You can make up stuff that you're supposed to do for God. Religious people do it all the time. Mm-hmm. Just sit there and whatever is is there that they see to do that flows with their thought about what they're supposed to be doing with their life, and they forget they have a testimony that's already written by God that includes nothing but success. Nothing but success in what God wants you to do. You see people like, when you see ministers who fall into sin or something like that and get you know, have to get rebuked publicly or they're embarrassed or ashamed publicly. They lose their ministry, lose their family, all that kind of stuff. They stepped off into something else that they believe they're supposed to be doing. And they don't stay with the testimony of God. You know, if you stay with what God's doing in your life, and you understand that you're walking out a pre-written testimony about you, there's safety there. There's protection there. There's overwhelming help for you, and peace for you, and comfort for you. You know, God showed me angels, in, in he showed me this many, many years ago. And I would see angels standing at places, and then sometime later I would get to that place. And he said, yeah, they wait for you to get there, where I send you. He said, they are ministering spirits sent there to help you, aid you, and assist you. I can remember there was a season where God had to really show me that I was not in this alone. And because many times you, you'll you have to do things where you have very little help. You know, I mean, sometimes you just have almost nobody but yourself. And you got to understand that when God has written a testimony about you, he got all the help you need there. And I can remember we would have places at the altar where you could stand there and you could feel the strong presence of God. There were angels there. Some, some people, some of you were in those first meetings. That we had that first meeting at Kobo Hall, the first uh, conference we had down there. And we would, I would call them hot spots. And people would stand there and if I would pray for them, they would stand and reel back and forth and they would never fall under the power. And people would say, and I would ask God why was that? He said, well, there's an angel standing there and he's holding them up. Huh? He said, they're receiving from me. He said, but he's standing there, he's holding them up. He said, if you go around there, you'll find a lot of spots. So I would go and check them out and sure enough, they would be there and the power of God would be there very strong. He said, "You think you can have a meeting without them there? Hello. I mean, if you want God to be there doing something, now you can. (laughs) You can do anything you want to in your own vision, creating your own testimony. But angels do come, and they stand. And as you pray, and as we take authority over spirits that would try to hinder, they hold them back." You know, you're not just saying words binding stuff and, and it's magically magically delicious you know. Oh lucky charms. Oh Bigora, we got the we got the lucky stuff happening here. Come on, folks. God's really restraining demons with the presence of his angels. This stuff is real. It's very real. And so he sends them out to people. He lets them go ahead of people. He knows, now listen, they ain't going to be there if you, well, the Lord told me, I just got a quickening from the Lord. And he told me to go over to Brother Show and So's and prophesy to them. Now, come on, folks. All these people that get flashes and quickenings and God just spoke to me. Told me this, told me that. You know, angels say, wait a minute now. I ain't wasting my time. I'm going to go somewhere where somebody already is preordained and steps in. Every step God tells them to step in, I'm going to follow them. He helps people who are ministering for the Lord. He doesn't help religious jerks. Your angels don't know where to find you if God tells you to do something one day and the next minute he told you to do something else. Get real. God's got more sense than that. He knows what he wants you to do from the foundation of the earth. Why is he switching up at the last minute? So knowing what your testimony is is very important. Because then you'll you'll be firm in your conviction when you do things. And you'll know that God's ordained you to do what you're doing. And you won't be so quick to let go of it. There, there will be a conviction on the inside of you that comes by the Holy Spirit when you start veering off the path of what he gives you to do. And you find that your life flows very well when you continue with what God told you to do. You'll have situations where the enemy will make strong advances to pull you off of God's assignment for you. And it comes through this carnality, this fleshly thing that people have sometimes. It's a thing sometimes it gets in people's flesh that begins to exalt them to another place, something higher or something more than what they feel God has them doing. It's always some kind of ambition. You look at when when Jesus was in the wilderness, you know, the enemy kind of thought he caught him at a weak point in his life. But Satan doesn't understand that when you are weak, then God makes you strong if you're in God. Mm -hmm. When you're weak, that's the best thing place for you because you run out of ideas, plans, you know, stuff you think is going to work, speed dials you're going to call. and you know, for your help and so forth. And so he Jesus was strengthened all the more by God in the wilderness. As the Bible says he came back in the power of the Spirit after that. Hello. And so as he was being weakened there, the enemy thought he would tempt him in his weakened state To come out of that place that God had him in to develop him so that he can go back and do greater ministry. In fact, his ministry had not started yet. That's how it started with fasting and prayer and being alone with the Father. So where the enemy thought he would catch him weak and he would Do what he told him to do because he was so weak he wanted to get away from what God was telling him to do. Hello? See, we're in situations now, some of us, and if we stay true to God and stay in it, we'll come out all the more stronger. But the the enemy always wants you to give you a quick out because he knows that we don't like pain. And we don't like discomfort. And we don't like restrictions. And we don't like being told no. And so if he can catch us in a weakened state, then he can give us another option and steal our testimony. So what did he tempt Jesus with? Power, money, influence, all the things he tempts people with now. He knows how to touch human flesh to get it to bow to him. Promised him all the kingdoms of the world. Of course they were already his. You know, they were already Jesus's just by the word. This is a thing the devil doesn't understand about the word. Never did understand it. Cuz if he did, he wouldn't have tried to exalt his throne above heaven. It had already been written. That whoever tries to exalt himself above God will fall. The first place, the first uh, place that people mess up in their celebrity is either being compared with God or compared with Jesus. John Lennon said, At one time that the Beatles were more popular than Jesus. He was the first one to die. Somebody put a poll out recently. Jesus is second to President Obama now in popularity. See that's why you got to pray for people. That's why you got to pray for him. Because the devil wants to set him up for something stupid. Pray that he don't believe it. And he don't repeat it. And he doesn't start trying to live in glory of men's accolades. Hmm? Because vanity will make you fall. It's written already. Nothing you can change about writing it. And don't get mad at me for saying it. I'm just giving you God's word and his wisdom. But when the Bible says pray for your leaders, you pray for all of them every single one of them because they are subject to the devil's influence just like we are and the devil don't want to see nobody in power nowhere he wants it all for himself so that's why when he can get in a situation he can put people up and he can put them down so that's why you pray for your presidents to be insulated from the devil's power Choose the right mindset in the right way. Think soberly about themselves. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to. Of course, the political atmosphere we live in, they are up one day and down the next. You understand what I'm saying? One day you're a hero, the next day you're something else. But you want to pray for your leaders that they would think soberly about themselves. Don't exalt themselves more highly than they ought to so when we the the enemy drags us away from our testimony from completing our testimony through some kind of vain notion something that we believe as strong and then it gets stronger than the word of god in us and he keeps hammering at small things with us you know sometimes it's a little jealousy that that people can get into where they'll see people in in situations that they want. You know, covetousness. You want to be in that spot where somebody is. And then pretty soon the devil's got a a hold in there. He's got a hook in your mouth. And then you start thinking that you can have that. And you start being drawn off. And then you're angry at God because he won't give it to you. And won't give it to you fast enough. And so when we observe lying vanities, the Bible says we forsake our own mercy. Turn to Jonah chapter 2, and we'll talk about that a little bit. In the first chapter of the book of Jonah, it says that Jonah was given an assignment. He's a prophet of God, and he's given an assignment by God to go to the city of Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a wicked city, and he—he um, he, it was rule. It was an Assyrian nation. Excuse me. The Assyrians were sworn enemies of God. They worshipped idols, worshipped many gods. They were very um, vicious people. Whenever people heard their horses and chariots coming, everybody ran for the hills because they were mean people, man. They would kill everybody. And this is how they conquered. They were very powerful people. And one day God got tired of the sin that was coming up from Nineveh and he sent Jonah on an assignment to, uh, to preach to them and command them to repent and turn around. And Jonah got in, a, he had a mood swing. He felt like he didn't want to go. I'm tired of God doing this. I get sick of going around giving these same messages over and over and over again. I was thinking about that and uh, I remember (coughs) Roberts Lairdon years ago said that God gave him a message to preach. And he went on a tour to preach that message. He preached consistently 360 nights in a row the same message. He said, I'd go get my Bible, and I would believe that God was going to give me something different. He said, every night, he said, if you don't think, that's a challenge. He said, try to make your same sermon interesting to yourself 300 nights in a row. (laughs) Quite a challenge. So God has a way of building discipline into our lives one way or the other. You know, for him, it was you don't have the freedom to preach another message. Some, you, that, that, that to me is the ultimate of servanthood. See, there's a message in that for a preacher. What it means is that you can't just have the freedom to do what you want to do. I'm putting you on restrictions. Usually, you can get inspired, if you're an inspired gift, you know, you can get inspired by wallpaper. You know, I'm serious. I mean, yeah, wow, God's talking to me. Look at how that's, all oh, those are just alike. That's just like God. Yet they're different in their own little way. You know, that kind of stuff. You can get inspired by anything. But what God wanted out of him was not creative inspiration. He wanted discipline so that's how he built discipline into his life. So this is what Jonah's problem preacher boredom. Hmm. Every sermon that you preach as a minister has life on it. You gotta find the life on it. You can't let your 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 soul get involved and call it dull and routine and put a different something on it. But see, he was doing that because there was something in him trying to steal his testimony. And that something began to condemn the message of God, criticize the message of God, critique the message of God. The message of God isn't what I want to do anymore. I want my own message. This is a big failure. Preachers. It's probably the biggest one that we have. Tell you why. Because you can tell if it's an original or if it's a copy. If it's a copy, everybody's saying it. There are veins and flows of copy stuff that goes through the body of Christ. We've had them since the church began it'll start out sometimes as a revelation and it begins to excite people and tickle their flesh and all you need is for a couple of insecure ministers that don't think they can hear from god to go pattern themselves after somebody else's revelation my feeling is get on your own rusty knee suck some carpet and get your own message from god You understand what I'm saying? I mean, it really is never that hard. But whatever you think is the hard part about it, you better do it so that you know how to get in that door in God so you can get your own message. Because nothing will kill a preacher faster than trying to grab something that somebody else preached that's half chewed up and spit out. Sometimes a lot of these messages to me people don't let them percolate long enough to get the essence out of it. You know, a lot of this is premature food not chewed up enough. Mm-hmm. It's kind of interesting if you watch <clears throat> you watch children when they're babies they go from liquid to semi-solid, to some solids, to solid, and then pretty soon they want a steak just like you got. Mm -hmm. But they had to grow in levels of what they could digest. Mm -hmm. And the mother had to be smart enough not to give them an apple at eight months and think they could chew it and not choke on it. And see, we've got a lot of people that we're choking out here with word that's not even digested by the preacher's gift enough to spit it out there so people can receive it and understand it. That's why people run off with these religious ideas about, I'm going to sow a seed and, and get what, rich and wealthy overnight. And I can squander what God gives me and not be faithful with it. Mm-hmm. Stewardship is never talked about. That's kind of like a dull subject. Mm-hmm but whenever you talk about money in God's kingdom you must talk about stewardship because that's what he rewards the most it's not the possessions it's how you you handled it that he rewards see he's looking way beyond the carnality of things and so <clears throat> when you when you begin to understand God's kingdom and how it revolves you begin to get real careful about how you spend your time in God your words your actions your steps everything gets to be important to you and measured to you and you get the impression you know we don't we don't have any time to waste here i don't have time to go on a a, a self binge you know what i'm saying tie one on just put a uh, you know i'm not in sign on the the preacher is out far out i'm so far out i got the ministry money going shopping with it well that's what they do you know if god gives you a message and the world says you can put a copyright on it and get that money for yourself that doesn't mean that's necessarily your money because in the realm of the spirit in the real world, that message is God's. So you need to go back to him with his money and ask him what you, he wants you to do with his money. Because that's his message. And he'll prove it to you because he'll give it to somebody else who's more faithful. And your little money will stop real quick. Huh? Huh? I don't care you know who, what kind of name. Your name can be up there real high and you pull it in millions of bucks one day and the next day they forgot all about you. God causes people to remember and to forget. So you have to be careful with what God gives you. He makes your name great. He makes it prominent. And like he put a a, a a great stamp on it, he can put a low stamp on it. Mm-hmm. So here's Jonah trying to be disobedient. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, this man is, <coughs> is a minister. He stands in the office of prophet. How he got this loopy, I don't know. You know, they were in a different dispensation then. Huh? But you can grumble and complain a lot to God. And the first time you grumble and complain the Holy Spirit convicts you. If you insist on continuing to do it, we go to the next level of correction. But you will be corrected. As some preachers who wind up in prison. If there are different levels of correction. If they're honest with you they'll tell you. You know, I can remember when I first started doing whatever, whatever and God told me. He convicted me. Then he sent so and so to talk to me, and I refused to see him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There are levels of correction. Huh? Period. Trust me, people who get exposed, have been told for many, many, many years, oftentimes, to stop what they were doing and correct their behavior. So anyway, here's Jonah. He he. God tells him tells him to go to Nineveh. But he thinks, mm, "I'm not going. He's important. You no, know, he's a preacher and he's a prophet, and he's gonna show God he don't have to do nothing God tells him to do." Mm-hmm. So in chapter one, verse three, Jonah rose up to flee into Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, and he went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them into Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Now anybody who's worked any length of time for God and God sends them out to minister understands that there's a certain level of safety and protection that they have. We talked about that. Whenever you're in obedience to God and doing the will of God, there is all the power that you need to accomplish what he sends you to do successfully. You must be sure God is sending you and you don't just went. Huh? <clears throat> you can tell sometimes where when people sometimes people give it away themselves. They'll say, You know, I just felt led to go or God sent me so and so and then sometimes they'll say, I went so and so and so. So you know in you whether you sent or whether you went. So Jonah went. Uh, He wasn't sent. He went on this boat. And he was trying to get away from God. The Bible says he was trying to flee from the presence of the Lord. So there's an anointing and a flow of God's grace that had already always accompanied him when he was going to go and obey God. So this nuts trying to get out from under, it's like this. God has always been there to usher him and moving him by his presence. He knows the presence of God walking with him to take him where God wants him to go. You know, this nuts trying to get away from that. He said, yeah, if I can just shake God off and get on this boat, he won't take me where he wants me to go. I can do what I want to do. Huh? So he's trying to shake God. So it says, (laughs) the Lord sent a great wind to the sea. You don't like me, Jonah, I'll send you wind, but you go have wind. He sends an earthly wind out to the sea. See, if we don't want God around us, he'll send something else to us. He'll show us what life is like without his presence and without his power. You want to experience that kind of stuff, he'll let you do it. So there was a great tempest on the sea and the the uh, men on the boat were scared. And eventually they figured out that God was mad at somebody on that boat. And they began to question Jonah. Because they began to call on the gods that they knew, and nobody was responding, common things. And so they just, by process of elimination, they look at this other guy and they see he ain't prayed yet. You know, everybody's calling on whoever they call on, you know, uh, <laughs> they call on, Chemosh and, you know, Moab and, you know, Baal and, you know, doing the, doing the Baal, you know, funny dance. Baal is cool. Baal is come on bail help us out you know whatever they do and this brother over here sitting in the corner acting like ain't nothing going on he prayed to nobody yet so he's a dead giveaway and hey, look over here and say where are you from and who is your god and what you doing on here hmm? see when sinners preach you in the conviction you're pretty low huh what do he do immediately he coughed it up i'm a prophet of god and i'm running from god not have been caught Huh? See, it done, if you're sensitive to God, it don't take you long to figure out you've done, done something wrong. Uh-huh. So, Jonah's not totally stupid. See, He's never known God like this before. Uh-huh. There are some areas you don't want to know God like you're going to know Him. You don't want to know God in the realm of disobedience and walking away from your testimony, trying to spoil your testimony and having to find your way back you don't want to know him like that but he is there for people who need him like that but that's not what you aspire to Jonah's sitting there thinking man it sure was nice when I used to just get on the road and I could flow I didn't have no problems you know I was being obedient to God thinking now he's thinking he says I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord the God of heaven and earth made the sea and dry land. You know, he quoting his scriptures. Well, if you know God's got that kind of power, why aren't you obeying him, Jonah? And they said to him, What are what are, you, what are we what are we going to do? They said, Instruct us, man of God. You know God. What do we need to do to make things right? Because we just want to get to Tarshish. I don't care what we got to do. We'll we'll try to please your God. See, sometimes sinners have more sense than you do. Jonah's trying to disobey and these sinners are wanting to please his God so they can have peace. So he's got more conviction on him. Mm -hmm. You know, when sinners start quoting you scriptures and start talking to you and witnessing to you, you better check out, check yourself. Mm -hmm. Because that's not God's first choice for witnessing to his people. His first choice for us is the company of believers. But he will find you. He'll make a sinner tell you more about him than you know to yourself. Just to show you how far you've gone. Hello. He says, and they ask him in verse 11, what shall we do that the sea may be calm to us? For the sea is wrought and it's tempestuous. And he said to them, take me up and throw me into the water. And the sea will be calm to you. So Jonah in his nonsense understands that he doesn't want to heap sin on his own life by making it hard for these men. He doesn't want to kill them too. So he says, if you get me out of this boat, then the seas will be calm to you. Mm -hmm. You know, the wisdom of God never leaves some people. Mm -hmm. It can still work. When it's necessary, but you don't want God just to speak to you in emergency situations. You want to have relationship so that he can lead you and guide you. But the gifts will work in people even when in their disobedience they'll work. Because God sees a need. God didn't want those men to drown either. He just wanted the the nut off the boat. Hmm? It's like kicking them off the island. huh? Who do we vote off the island tonight? Who do we vote off the boat tonight? Uh, Jonah. So he's there. And these sinners have more respect for his God than he does. What do we do to please your God? We want our life to run right. All we want it to do is get from one place to the other. And there's a mistake here that's been made. So what do we do to make it right? And so he says... The men tried to overcome the boat. They didn't want that sin on their hands either. When they found out he was a man of God, they gave him respect. So they tried to row the boat anyway. They didn't want to do that. Sometimes sinners will have more respect for your God than you have. Hmm? Sometimes You'll find sometimes people who really have a need for God, you'll tell them one thing to do and they'll jump on it, they'll just grab it like it's fresh water. And you sit and preach to people for three weeks and they don't get it. Go and do the exact opposite. Huh? Don't do what the Bible tells them to do. Don't do what the preacher tells them to do. Get a prophecy and just let it sit on the shelf for years like it's nothing. Hello? The Bible says today while it's today. Don't harden your heart. Obey God. Right away. That's what he considers obedience is what you do immediately. He says, they tried to row to bring it to land and then they cried unto the Lord and said, <clears throat> don't let us perish from this man's life. Don't lay upon us innocent blood. And so they took Jonah up and cast him into the sea. So they picked up enough already to pray so that God didn't charge them for killing him. And you don't know if it was that prayer that brought Jonah's deliverance. See, we've got a lot of stuff going on here, folks. They've already pled with God and they've tried to do the right thing. When they found out this man was a Hebrew and a servant of God, they began to reverence, respect him and try to preserve his life. And when they saw that they were all going to perish, if they didn't try and do what he told them to do, they asked God for mercy. They said, God, don't let innocent blood be laid to our charge. In other words, God, if you can, preserve this man's life. He says, <clears throat> verse 17, but the Lord had already prepared. Already prepared. You mean God knows when I'm going to get stupid? Oh, yeah. You mean God, and and I got stupid and I stayed stupid for 10 years and I could have gone back to God at any time. He had already prepared that. Oh, yeah. He prepares your deliverance ahead of time. He had already set a big fish in the water to swallow him up so he wouldn't drown. Well, you know, them big fish stories, they're kind of hard to believe. Oh, with faith, nothing's impossible to believe. In fact, you need to rejoice in this because there's a big fish somewhere waiting for you to swallow you up if you get stupid. You know, a lot of us go down to, to defeat in situations where we, if we cry out to God, there's some deliverance already prepared for us. Mm-hmm. That we don't have to suffer if we would just believe that it's there for us when we do get crazy. It's <laughs> <Get> stupid. <laughs> Verse 2. Then Jonah prayed. See it wasn't bad enough. He was in a boat on a rough sea. He has to be thrown over into the water. When he got in that fish though he began to pray. Hmm? wonder what it's like in a fish's stomach. Huh? You know in, in most the stomach because of it's outside of the body actually. I mean you you know it just one end is the outside and the other is the outside. Jesus said that you know it's outside of the body, and and you can have extremes of conditions on anything that's insulated from the general body. Like it's not like your bloodstream, where it all flows in there. It's connected to every cell. Your your intestines, your digestive tract is really outside of your body starts the one end starts out the other ends out and so you can find extremes of of conditions in there and in the stomach the condition is similar to battery acid so jonah's taking a bath in battery acid now so i don't know about you but i think that would make me pray it says, "And Jonah prayed to the Lord his God out of the fish's belly. That's 2 verse 1. And said, I cried by reason of my affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me. I cried and he heard me. Now this is nothing new for a prophet of God. God always hears him. But you know what? When you turn your back on God... And you've been listening to your own mind tell you it's okay not to obey God. And God has already given you instruction and you know what you're supposed to do and you refuse to do it. You may be shocked that he still hears you and responds to you. See the condemnation of the devil is something that the Bible teaches us to stay away from. The whole of the New Testament is full of instruction. To help you stay in obedience so you don't fall into the condemnation of the devil. The condemnation of the devil will accuse you day and night that what you have done, he'll never forgive you. You can never get away from this. You'll never, or, you know, the other extreme, the devil makes you play God like it's a plaything. And you'll spend your life in disobedience thinking the consequences are not that. It always tells you, you're not that bad. God won't do that. Has he really said? Huh? Did he really say that? Question whether you understand God's instruction to you or not. So he says, the Lord heard me out of the belly of hell, cried I, and you heard my voice. It is hot. When you touch acid, that stuff burns. Huh? Hmm? for you did cast me into the deep in the midst of the seas and the floods compassed me about all thy billows and waves passed over me now this is something this is something interesting jonah said god threw him in there god didn't throw him in there he threw himself in there and see the thing of it is this this prophet of god is kind of shocked that this would happen to him because if you ask me, he's probably been riding the edge of disobedience for a while now. And he ain't got this bold. It's the first time he ever got this bold. Because he knows God to be a merciful God. And sometimes, if your your view of God is all one way, one slanted, you know, like people, homosexuals will say stuff. Well, Jesus is about love. And you're, this is hate speech. Well, he wrote the book. How is it hate speech? How is he about love? And if I tell you what he says in his book about your condition right now, that's hate. Hmm. But see, people have, a, the, the, people have a tendency, your carnal mind has a tendency to twist and slant your vision of God. So it's all one way. They try to see a God of nothing but love. When they say love, they mean permissiveness. They don't mean love. Love that demands that you conform to the image of Christ and will help you to do it. See, they only see a permissive God who, if if you're really speaking God's love, you don't judge me. God judges people all the time. This is a book of judgment, folks. Mm Hmm. Because if you violate the law of love, you will be judged. And so (coughs) Jonah, has he's got this one-dimensional vision of God. And he gives away at the end of the chapter, we won't read the whole thing. But at the end of the chapter, he tells why he refused to go to Nineveh and preach. Because when he got there, the people repented. In sackcloth and ashes. And you know that this nut of a prophet was wanting to see God kill people rather than see him have mercy on him. Mm -hmm. His view of God was that, oh God's a pushover. If I go there and preach to these people, they're going to repent and God ain't going to do nothing I told these people that he was going to do. See, this is a problem sometimes people have when they're given the word of God. They forget that a minister is nothing more than a servant. You're no more responsible as a minister. You are no more responsible for the word of God than somebody who typed the greatest manuscript that was ever written. You're just handling words as best you can. And trying to get the essence of the meaning so that people can understand God better. But this is not your message. This is God's message. And the prophet had gotten to the point where he started to stake his reputation as a man of God. On whether or not certain things would happen that he thought should happen as a result of his preaching. Rather than letting God make it real to people. So he when he went to Nineveh. And he prophesied to them. They repented, the Bible says, in sackcloth and ashes. They they refused to feed the dog, honey. They had everybody fasting. That whole city from the king down to the rats and the roaches didn't eat nothing. And they got on their face before God because they saw the wickedness in themselves. huh Because he spoke God's word just like God gave it to him. At least he had that much sense. He didn't twist it around to make it sound good to the people. He put it out there just like God gave it to him. And under that unction, the people did repent. And God spared that city. And that made Jonah mad. He sat under that gourd. He got mad. (laughs) Sat out in the hot sun. And wanted to bake to death, God provided shade for him, you know a gourd anybody ever had squash or cucumbers in their yard? them leaves is big, I mean they're very broad leaves because they have to protect the fruit from from the hot sun. You know if squash goes goes dry, it'll go dry very quickly, and it turns in that hard little the little gourd you buy around. Thanksgiving and stuff like that to decorate with it starts out as a real squash full of water in that dried sun so the leaves are very broad to protect it and that's what God had grow up to protect Jonah from the hot sun and then he created a worm that caused the gourd to die and Jonah was mad because the shade was gone and God said don't you have as much compassion for those people down there as you did for that gourd, which grew up in one day and then withered away. He said, these people are more important to me than that plant. So you're wasting your sympathy on a plant that I caused to grow up and die just after its usefulness is gone. He said, but those people are much more, worth much more to me. So Jonah then gets a change in his mood, in his attitude. He gets a change in his perspective out of this whole disobedience experience. I'm telling you. God will straighten you out. He'll straighten you out. So in, in chapter 2. Back to that again. He says. All the billows and the waves have passed over me. He said, Then I said I am cast out of thy sight. Yet will I look again to thy holy temple. See sometimes. People need to be cast out. Before they want to be cast in. Hmm. Huh? Sometimes we just need to let God take care of people, you know, quit pushing and prodding and trying to convince them and all this kind of stuff. Just let God deal with them, you know, as we say. Pray the prayer. Believe God for their deliverance. Believe God to spare their testimony so that when they stand before God in heaven on the day of judgment, they have the testimony fulfilled. And not fragmented or not, you know, testimonies blotted out because of disobedience. You want people to obey God. And he said, I look toward your holy temple. He said, the waters compassed me about, even to the soul. The death closed me round about. The weeds were wrapped about my head. See, this, that one, it says immediately after he was tossed in the water, he was swallowed up by a big fish. But just that little bit of time in the water taught him a big lesson. See, oftentimes Christians dream and fantasize about doing what they want to do. You know, we all do it. You know, they get tired of I could do what I want to do. God, you know, you told me you were going to do this and that for me. You ain't done it yet. Then the threat comes. The thought of the threat comes. If I don't get it by 3 o'clock this afternoon, I'm going to sit here and watch my watch, God. I'm going off. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's exactly how it started with Jonah. Some threat. But, you know, oftentimes we don't put God there. We put a person there. See, it's God we're angry at, but we focus it in on some person. A husband, a wife, a boss, parent, teacher. Somebody in authority. That we can blame for everything. Mm. If they don't change their attitude toward me, they don't talk right to me, they don't treat me right, Mm. all of that. And we threaten to be disobedient, don't want to put up with it anymore. Uh, You just watch God, I'm going to show ya. Mm. So sometimes we need to let them people show God. Mm. Just show, let them just act up, get stupid. He said, I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. You know they're under the sea, right? The floor of the sea is mountain material. It's covered with a little dirt, but it's pretty hard down there. And he said, I went down to the bottoms of the mountain. The earth with her bars was about me forever. Yet have you brought up my life from corruption, O Lord my God. So now he's grateful. He's been delivered and he's grateful. He said, when my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came in unto thee, into thy holy temple. He mentions that twice. Must be he's visited there, and he knows what it's like to be in the temple of the Lord. And to have his prayer answered. He said, even out of my disobedience, you allowed me to go back and speak to you from your holy temple, and you heard me. And he said this, they that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. That's how you lose your testimony. You observe some lying vanity, some vain thought from the pit of hell that tells you that you need to quit doing what God's commanded you to do and told you to do and do something else. It's a lying vanity. Because you forsake your own mercy because the mercy of God goes with obedience. Obedience and mercy go hand in hand. And that vain thought that's lying to you, vanity really refers to something that's not gonna, it's not gonna profit you or anybody else. It's just something to make you feel good, think you look good, cause some kind of vain thought for you to be prolonged. Well, I should be doing this, or I should be doing that, or God's told me I'm going to do this, and why aren't I doing that? And Why don't I have this, or why don't I have that? You know, I, I want a husband, I want a wife, I want money, I want a car, I want a lying vanity. He says you forsake your own mercy when you observe that. What does observe mean? You focus in on it. It gets clearer to you. You start making plans to obtain it. You make a step out to get it. That's observing. It starts with just a simple, I want, and you start focusing and dwelling on it. And then it seems like everything that's obedience to God is standing in the way of you getting what you want and being what you want to be. Lying vanity. When God has ordained us, our testimony is that we please God. We served God. Let that be your testimony. If that's not good enough, I don't know. This book can't help you. If it's not good enough for you to be faithful to God, to serve God, I don't care what position he puts you in. You know, I look at people, sometimes I look at people in this ministry even, I say, you know, they don't have to go to the doctor for everything. They know that if they stay faithful to God, they'd be fed, clothed, etc., etc. You know, they need to watch their confession, don't we all? need to watch what's in your mind, your mind wandering, need to watch your forgiveness level so that you can stay faithful to God and your life can be blessed. Need to watch wanting something more than what you are right now. Be content. You need to learn those things. But for the most part, when you're walking with God, you have full provision. You have full provision. And they're they're Christians You know, in other churches that are working hard that don't have half what you have. Because they're not taught how to get these things. And so you lack nothing really. And all you have to do is stay faithful. You know, there are Christians in hard places. You know, I read stories and testimonies. People, you know, my son's in, in, I was a preacher and my son got convicted of armed robbery or, or murder. And he's in jail for the rest of his life. How did this happen to me? I was serving God. I don't know, but I know that there are Christians in other places that those things don't happen to. You see? And they're stuck in a life of trying to serve God and please God with all of these hurts still happening in their lives. So you are blessed, folks. If all he wants you to do is come to church twice a week and lift a box here and there and serve or carry the preacher's bag, don't you think it's worth it doing that so that you can have the blessing of God? And you can have the freedom of God? Nobody's tied in a marriage that's, that's not productive. God brings your loved ones to church with you. That is a blessing, folks. It is a true blessing. So uh, lying vanities will steal your testimony. Don't let the devil tell you you're supposed to be higher than you are right now. You don't suppose to have nothing. You understand me? Other than a life of servanthood and let God care for you. He will send the caring to you when you need it and you'll be blessed. But don't mess with Mr. In Between. Let him lure you into making a wrong move and let the devil steal your testimony. Stay true to God to the end. Amen.